So it's been a while since we, we, we've gotten together. Uh, to the best of my recollection, we had just finished. I could be wrong, and if uh, I'm ready to be corrected, but based on my recollection, we had gotten through um, a very large percentage of the negative and positive commandments that we did at the end of the Sefer for Hashem. We've completed the Sefer for many times. We just finished, finished it again, and um, uh, we spent a couple of sessions on the severity of the prohibition of Lashon Hara based on the fact of how many different other prohibitions are connected to it. It's truly mind-boggling when you stop and think of how really few of the 613 commandments, maybe a third, um, are really relevant in today's world. And if you, if you calculate that, of that, whatever that number is, somewhere in that area, you have 31, 17 negative prohibitions and 14 positive commandments that are related to the uh, issue of Lashon Hara, it really just gives you uh, an incredible sense of how all-pervasive this, uh, this prohibition is and how much we have to work on ourselves to eradicate it from our, from our speech. So let's, so unless somebody else remembers something different, I'm going to start right from the beginning, um, Klal Aleph, and let us hopefully uh, look forward to Rez Hashem uh, going through the Sefer once again. I, like I said, over the almost 30 years, maybe even more than 30 years that we've been doing this, I, I lost track of how many times we finished the Sefer, but Ken Yerbu, we should only continue, and it should be a great schuss for all of us, as well as for Kai Yisrael, that there are Jews committed to learning on a regular basis. Okay, so the first point that he makes in the Sefer, and it's one that he reinforces again and again and again, and no matter how many times he writes it, it seems that the, um, the comeback that people have all the time is, oh, no, no, it's not Lashon Hara. This is true. I'm telling you, it's true. It's not Lashon Hara. Well, again, uh, let's drive that, home, that point home once again. The very first thing that the Chavetz Chaim says and the laws of Lashon Hara is Lashon Hara is when it's true. It's exactly what it is, Lashon Hara, because if it's not if it's not true, it moves into a whole other realm of prohibition called Moti Shemra. Okay, so the idea that it's true does not take it away from being prohibited speech. Not everything that's true needs to be said. Everything that's said needs to be true, uh, at least most of the time, vast percentage of the time. But not everything that that is true needs to be said. And if it's damaging speech, it cannot be said. Uh, and it's, it's based on, of course, uh, the, the classic prohibition of is the prohibition that speaks uniquely and specifically to the Avev Lashon Hara. Do not be a, a peddler of information amongst your people. Now, there is, there is one level of prohibition, and that is a person slips. And we hope that we are, you know, if we're going to, if we're going to, ever speak Lashon Hara, and hopefully it doesn't happen, but obviously we're not perfect and it could happen. And if it does, you know, there is a serious prohibition called Lashon Hara. But there's another level. And that other level is something that we have to literally run away from and avoid at all costs. Because this other level um, is called the Baal Lashon Hara. The Baal Lashon Hara says the Chavetz Chaim, he says, um, is, is a person who basically doesn't have any, any filter. There's no filter on, uh, on his mouth or her mouth. Whatever they want to say, as negative as it could be, no matter what the circumstances are, they're going to say it. 
And these people are, they sort of own it. They, they own the Lashon. They, they almost, the expression Baal is is a person who literally is so involved in Lashon Hara that there is really uh, no turning off the spigot and there's really no control whatsoever. That person, unfortunately, moves into a whole other realm of, of uh, speaking of, in terms of how serious the Aveira is. And there are really very negative, unique things said about a Baal Lashon Hara. Uh, for example, he quotes a Gemara in Erechen that says that there are three types of people in, in this world who uh, get punished for the Averis in this world and they lose their Chelek and Olam Abba. Okay, because generally we all start off with the assumption that we have a right call, Yisrael Chelek, Yeshlam Chelek, Olam Abba. Every member of the Jewish people has a, has a right to have an expectation that they will be they will merit the world to come, whatever specific fashion that uh, that takes shape. Obviously, we're not here to discuss Chiyas Amesim and Olam Abba and and Yemos Hamashiach and Gan Eden. There are a lot of different um, moving parts there, but a person is entitled to have that feeling and expectation that they're going to um, have a share in it. However, there are three people who lose that share, and those three people are people who are involved in Avodah Zarah, Gil Arayis, and Shvi Chazdomim, the three classical uh, various that, that we know a person has to give up their life as, a, as opposed to transgressing it, okay? Idol worship, adultery, and all types of illicit uh, prohibitions, uh, sexual uh, prohibitions that lead, that have the death penalty, and of course, murder. Those are the big three. And yet, while those are the big three, and they stand separate and apart of any other Aveir in the annals of, Klai, of, of the Torah and Klai Yisrael, nevertheless, believe it or not, Veloshan Hurricane Neged Kula. Yet what does the, what does the uh, halachas say? That the that Lashon Hurricane equal all three, which is a mind-boggling idea. How the, in the world does Lashon Hurricane get into such rarefied territory as Gila Raish, Shvi and Avodah so it doesn't mean, because we're about to lose our mind and thinking that if we speak Lashon Hara once, it's like we did all three. No. So we can stay calm. We don't have, we don't have to start, uh, you know, checking our blood pressure, Chas Um, It does not apply to a person who once in a while slips and speaks Lashon Hara. But it does refer to a Baal Lashon Hara. And that's what he brings out. So somebody who is sort of wanton and just totally uh, indiscriminate about what they say and when they say it, and who they talk about. And we know, unfortunately, I think maybe we've met such people along the way, that they just, they're, like we said before, there's really nothing blocking them from saying whatever they want about anybody they want at any time that they want. That's a very dangerous place to be. The person's in that category of being a Balash and Hara, then they are in the same type of char- characterization as somebody who is transgressing the three major Averos, and that person really cannot expect Olam Abba. It's a scary thought. He can't expect Olam Abba because uh, they're, they're, the person loses their chalik. And if people are wondering, like, why would the Torah create such a serious prohibition about Lashon Hara? Really, all you have to do is sort of look at life just a little bit and see the devastation. And I'm sure in our own experiences, we can think of examples 
and unfortunately they, they still go on, where literally lives are shattered, relationships destroyed, families broken apart, uh, due to Lush and Hara, due to uh, people speaking about somebody else behind their back, and uh, whether they made it up or whether it's true, it really doesn't matter. Uh, the fact that it's, it was communicated, destroyed people, can destroy uh, communities, can actually can destroy people. We are still suffering, as we said many times. The Gullus is here because we have not rectified the Aveir of Lashon Harif. So when you look at it from a global perspective of what is the most undermining and divisive force that we have to contend with within ourselves, within our people, it's Lashon Harif. It's a Sinas Chinam, but uh, to take it to a deeper level, it's Lashon Harif. Okay, so that certainly, and that's why there's a very famous statement that uh, was quoted about the Chavetz Chaim. He spent a lot of years writing the Sefer, the incredible research that it took to write the Sefer, because he broke ground. When he wrote this Sefer, he broke ground back in the um, mid, mid or so 1800s, mid to the later 1800s, because there really was no Sefer. It wasn't like he had anything to sort of ride piggyback on. He had to call all of this information literally from Kol Tarakula. Incredible work and incredibly respected, immediately respected work that the, that the Sefer was able to gain there, the respect from uh, all, all corners of Klai Yisrael. And it was the Chavaz Chaim's quote is saying that, you know, if I get a person to at least even fetch after he speaks Hashem Hara, the, se- the Sefer will have been worth it. You know, and it's an interesting, you know, statement, obviously. I mean, uh, there is a deep concept to the point that when we do a, a sin and then we regret it immediately and we sort of catch, oh my gosh, I slipped. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said that. That, that is very meaningful. You know, the idea that, again, we're not sort of indiscriminate. We're not uh, just, uh, you know, totally free is a very important point. But I think maybe there's a deeper message in that statement. Because when a person catches themselves and says, oh, I shouldn't have said that, that right away indicates that they're not a Baalosh and Haru. That means it's, it's they they sort of own it and they they clearly want to limit what they say. They're not in a in a mindset where whatever comes to me, I'm just going to say I'm not going to care about it. So um, if this safer helps a person to go from being a bala shenhara to somebody who just un, unfortunately sometimes speaks a shenhara, that is an incredible accomplishment. The Chavetz Chaim is quoted as saying that for that alone, it would have been worth spending all those years. To write the safer for one Jew to have moved away from that level of being a balashara. Pretty incredible stuff. So, what about pressure? And again, we're going in order with the safer, and we're here at the beginning of it. What about pressure? Are there any allowances for pressure to uh, allow one to, uh, to speak Lashara? And the answer is really no. The only pressure that a person would be allowed to speak Lashara under is the, is the pressure of one's life, if one's life would be in danger. But anything short of that, Chavitz Chaim is very clear. Um, you don't, you, you don't give in. You, you don't, you can't give in. And this really gets into some very touchy territories educationally, because there are, you know, schools, there are rabbis, there are teachers, sometimes principals who feel I need to know. So the Chavitz Chaim is very clear. Even though you have an obligation to respect a person who wants lashon hara from you, it's a parent, it's a rabbi. And they want you to say something. Now, if they, if you can see clearly, and Bez Hashem, as we go through the Sefer, we're, go, we're going to become very well versed in when the allowance is to speak Lashonara. And when there are allowances, not only are there allowances, but there are obligations at times to speak Lashonara. 
So clearly, if something falls into that into that realm, we're not dealing with that. Then you'd be allowed to say whether it's a father, rabbi, or anybody else who who's asking you. You have to say because you have to protect individuals or various other motivations that would allow you to speak Goshnara. That's really for later on in the Sefer. Um, but in a case where you're not allowed to speak Goshnara and you're asked by a, a person that you would respect, a person you have to respect, a person like, like a parent, the answer is, I'm sorry. I love you. I love you, mommy. And I love you, uh, Tati. And um, or I love you, Rabbi. I have the utmost respect for you, but I really don't feel comfortable I really can't say that because it's, it's Ashnahar and I really can't share that. Now, obviously, you have to say it with respect, but the idea that just because somebody, you know, with, with a beard or somebody uh, who's a blood relative wants information, it does not allow you to say it. And not, uh, he's not saying it's easy, it's difficult, but nevertheless, regardless of the difficulty, one has to resist from speaking Ashnahar. Uh, why do rabbis and why do educators and why do parents ask kids? Why is it so important for them to know who exactly was suspended or who maybe threw the chalk and maybe try to find out who threw the chalk um, when you turned your back on the class, find out another way. But to ask the sweetest kid who you know is not going to be able to talk back to you and ask them for the information uh, or, you know, it can't say no to you, it, it's wrong. It's bottom line. It's, it's absolutely wrong because it's, it's also being mechanic the child, that it's okay to speak Oshnara, and that's a terrible message, Chinuch-wise. So, and again, I mentioned a lot of people came on later. If you do have a question along the way, something that you want clarification about, you certainly can unmute, unmute yourself and ask, or you can write the question to the chat, or you can wait till the, till the end of this year. But we certainly know that these areas require cl uh, clarifications, a lot of questions, and we welcome them along the way. So pressure, that kind of pressure from somebody that you respect is not, is not enough. You have, to do, you have to do respectfully. You have to answer back in a nice way, but you cannot allow an obligation like Kibbutz aim or Kavod Arav to justify breaking such a severe Aver in the Torah as Lashon Hara. I have a question, Rabbi. Yes. Yeah, if a, if a rabbi asks or a superior asks you, specifically that it's not, and you say you don't want to do, and you try to be respectful and say, I don't want to do Lashon Hora, and they say, well, it's not Lashon Hora because you, you you can say it because it has to do with something. How, when is it permissible then? Well, you have to, you, you have to see that. You have to understand that. In other words, it's just, um, uh, you'd have to make, it would be, if, if a rabbi told you that there's a very specific reason you know, that I need to know to protect a, a, another person and therefore it's not Lashon Hara and that's why I'm asking you, I think you'd have a right to rely on that. Maybe, you know, you're not, you're not getting all the information, but you, it has to be presented within a framework of the justification to be able to speak Lashon Hara. You know, and, and if, if it's in a situation where you sort of are skeptical and you, know, you're, you don't see it, you don't really understand it, then, you know, it, that might be tough for you uh, to give an allowance in that situation. But if, if a rabbi says, I understand I would never ask you this, but I need to know this for a particular reason, and you don't, you know, it's not a curiosity thing, then and you would be able to rely on that. Um, mm -hmm. But you have to be 
pretty certain that it's not a flippant kind of thing where somebody just out of curiosity wants information. No, 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 tell us stories. I need to know, I need to know. But it's something that's truly thought out and le- legitimate. But it, it requires a, a calculation. You have to think about it and you have to really have trust in the person. That's re- that really is the case. Um, Thank yeah, you. No, not a problem. So now what about financial pressure? Uh, sometimes you can be in a job and that job you know, has people who expect you to live a certain way and act a certain way, be part of the crowd, not to be some holy than thou uh, Jew who doesn't uh, enjoy gossiping, you know, in the coffee, the coffee room or during, you know, during uh, whatever, you know, we get together and we have a good time in the office and, you know, we're, we're sharing all the dirt about different people and you always seem to be quiet and you don't ever volunteer any of the dirt that we are, you know, so interested in hearing. So eventually the boss might say, you know what, you're out of here. Uh, we, we don't want the, all these holy people hanging around here. So you'll have to find another job. And, you know, you need you need the job. You don't even know how you're going to support yourself if you don't have that job. So um, where does that stand? Where if, if, if it's very, very clear, you don't do this, and you don't speak Lashonara, you're going to lose your job. Would that be justification to speak Lashonara? And the, the answer is absolutely not. The, law, the halach is very, very clear. For any love in the Torah, eating a cheeseburger, wearing shatnas, breaking the laws of Yom Tov, certainly anything that has a, a death penalty to it, but even if it only has a negative prohibition, which means the typical penalty in the time of the Beis Amigash would, would have been lashes, like some eating non-kosher. A person is obligated to lose all of their money and not transgress a, a, a negative prohibition. Positive commandments are different. Positive commandments have a, a, a framework where X amount of dollars would justify you being able to uh, not fulfill the commandment. Okay, if it, if it costs you all your money to buy a pair of tefillin, you know, no money left, you don't have to do that. that. The Torah doesn't obligate you to do that. But to but a negative commandment, like eating non-kosher, that you'd have to lose everything before, uh, before you can eat the non-kosher. Kosher food. Lashon Hara is the same way. Lashon Hara is a negative commandment. In fact, it might have many more than just one negative commandment. So, so uh, all types of financial pressures would never justify a Jew uh, speaking Lashon Hara. And the idea that, well, if I have no, if I don't have a job, then isn't my life in danger? The Chavetz Chaim is very clear. No, uh, people unfortunately don't have jobs. Obviously, today it's also a very tough time for many people financially, uh, but. There's this food. It's not a life-threatening situation where a person, God forbid, will lose their life. So since um, there is that distinction and it's not life-threatening, uh, a Jew would not be allowed to speak Lashari even at the expense of, of losing all their money. Okay, let me just see here. Um... Yeah, we are, we are in the first Klal Aleph. We are in the the first part of the Sefer, the first chapter of the first part, uh, just to make it clear where we are. Okay. Um, yeah, we finished the preface, and now we're in the first chapter of the first of two parts of the, of the Sefer. The Sefer is divided into the laws of Lashon Hara and the laws of Rechilos. We are now doing the laws of Lashon Hara, or towards the end of the very first chapter. Okay. Now, there are other types of pressures that the Chavetz Chaim talks about, and for example, just just social pressure. And it's interesting how the Chavetz Chaim 
feels, especially when it comes to social pressure, he feels a need to give us chizuk. He knows it's going to be tough. If you're going to lose friends because of your desire not to speak Lashon Hara, if you, you know, came to a point in your life and you say, that's it, I'm, I'm done with this. No more gossip, no more Lashon Hara, no more damaging speech. I'm not going to cave in anymore. And, you know, so, and then, but somehow you feel that the, the friends might start moving away from you and they're going to start ridicule, ridiculing you. Eh, who, who do you think you are? We know you, you, you're just like one of us. Stop with this holy than thou attitude and it becomes very tough. And you feel like caving in. The Chavetz Chaim gives us incredible encouragement. Don't do it. Don't cave in. Understand that the pressure that you feel and the, the, the degree of difficulty that is involved in not speaking Lashon Hara puts any, one, any person in that situation into very, very special rarefied territory. Unique, high-level territory where you can't even compare anybody into, uh, to that individual. And he quotes a few very, very important chazal. For example, he quotes the, the uh, mission in Idios that says, Mutav la'adam, shikri shota kayamav, it is better for a person to be called a fool all of their lives, to be seen in a negative light. Uh, what is that person? Person's a shaita. Shaita is a pretty strong negative word. Val rosha sho'achas Better to be called a shota all your life in front of people, but not to be seen as a rasha in front of a Kodesh Baruch Hu. So one has to remember that uh, clearly there are people that will obviously respect such an individual, but even if in your social circles it's going to involve some ridicule, don't let that be a reason to cave in. And he talks about the idea of Lefum Tzara Agra and how you cannot compare a mitzvah done or an Avera not done under duress, under difficulty, and you, you, you resist and you don't cave in and, you, uh, and um, you, you don't fall under the pressure. It's, it's, an, it's an incredible thing. It's a hundred times more significant than any other mitzvah that's done not under duress. We can't even imagine the, the, that the fact that you're undergoing tsar, there's pain involved. And there's a level of anguish because you're, you know, you're losing your friends. You're maybe people making fun of you. It's, it's unimaginable. And he finally ends with another incredible statement from the Medrash, Korega Varega, says the Medrash, every minute, piv, that a person closes his mouth and does not speak when the temptation is there and when there is going to be obviously some level of shame or anguish or difficulty in, in not speaking Lashon Hagon, is that person merits a special light, a hidden light, there is no one in, in, all, in the annals of the world, both the, uh, the upper echelons or down here on earth that can imagine the level of reward for that individual. So here you can have somebody, you know, he looks, he looks, he looks or she looks like a regular, regular average Jew. And, uh, you know, maybe you might say they're not getting the best portion in the world to come. And yet, if that person was under difficulty, on, under pressure to speak Lashon and did not speak Lashon that person just become, came, became catapulted and elevated to a whole sphere that maybe many other people that might seem to be more religious can't even reach. Okay, uh, you know, right? The things could be uh, deceiving. Looks, uh, uh, you know, superficial things are not always the way things, re- the way it really is. 
And as far as how should you act when you are in that situation, that we'll get to later on in the safe. In other words, what he's not talking about right now is so what do you do when you're stuck? What do you do when you're on a table in a, at a banquet? And everybody is speaking Lashon Hara and they're expecting you to chime in and agree and to, you know, commiserate with the rest of them. And, and you're not doing it and you're under tremendous pressure, what should you do? We'll get more into that later on. That's really not for now, but at least the, the basic guideline that we cannot cave in, we cannot let pressure get to us, that certainly needs to be kept in mind uh, immediately. Now, another very important point about Lashonar is that people think it's forbidden speech. And as such, when you use the expression forbidden speech, if I'm not speaking and I'm writing, or I'm hinting, or I'm motioning, I'm, I'm gesticulating, I'm doing with my eyes, I'm making some kind of motions with my eyebrows, whatever. And if I communicate that way, well, it's not Lashon Hara because I didn't say anything. So the Chavitz Chaim dispels that right away and says, don't, don't get any bright ideas. Makes absolutely no difference how you communicate it. It's not negative, or I should be more specific, damaging speech, it's dam damaging communication. And maybe it's a good time to, to clarify the very precise definition of Lashon Hara. Lashon Hara is not anything that's not positive. Okay, you know, I know we've had this discussion before, but if I say about a, uh, you know, a 10th grader, he doesn't have a very good outside shot. Or if I say about the, somebody says about 11th grade girl in a Jewish school, you know, she doesn't have the best voice in the world. Now that's, it's negative. It's certainly uh, not the nicest thing to say. And I'm not sure, I'm certainly not saying you should say such a thing, but it's such a thing, Lashon Hara. Lashon Hara is defined as damaging speech. It needs to have some oomph where it's going to make, where it's going to make a difference in a person's life. I don't believe that whether an 11th grader is, you know, um, is tone deaf or not, is really matters. I know some people say, what are you talking about? It's it's going to affect, I don't know what it affects. I mean, she can be the most incredible person and have, um, you know, wonderful talents. And the fact that she's not a great singer doesn't, I mean, if she's applying, you know, to, you know, for a, for a part in some, you know, major play or something, you can argue something. But it, typically, it's an irrelevancy. So there are many types of statements that maybe are not positive and are somewhat a derogatory, but if it doesn't cut to the core of a person's character, a person's uh, intelligence, a person's talents, if it doesn't cause people to look at that person in a more negative way, then that is not really Lashonara. Lashonara has to be damaging. It has to have some oomph to it in terms of making an impact in a person's life, a person's reputation, uh, a person's financial status, um, certainly areas of Shaduchim, anything where it has a real bearing in life. But if it has no bearing in life whatsoever, and no one really cares in the, in the scheme of things, whether or not this person is a great cook or not a great cook, well then, it's not Lashonara. Okay, so that, I know it's, it's raised some anger in the past. I've had some people actually yell at me during a year some years ago, but I, I have to be just, I have to share the truth. That is the truth, and um, I'm not saying therefore, oh, we got a big leeway to now start talking about people negatively in inconsequential areas, <laughs> you know, I'm not saying it's a good idea to run to that area but, and, and do that, but it's not Lashon Hara. If it's inconsequential, it's not Lashon Hara. It needs to have some consequence to it. Okay. Um, so, so therefore, he makes it clear that the, the issue is not whether you're speaking it. The issue is whether 
it has a, a, a consequence. It has a ramification. If it's communicated, whether it's communicated through writing, through texting, through this, through that, any which way, if I tell you, you know, I know people who, you know, I, I can't tell you who it was who was disrespectful to the rabbi in shul publicly, but he sits in the very back row four seats from the right side. You know, so, and somehow we think if we do that, we're not actually speaking Lashara. <laughs> At the end of the day, you told me who it was. So what's the difference, you know, the fact that you didn't say his name, but you told me where he was, where he sits. Obviously, it's, it's almost comical to think that that wouldn't be Lashara. Now, the very last halach in Kal Aleph um, is one that for some reason is very much misunderstood. And um, I would maybe, maybe misunderstood is not even the right word. It's literally just misstated. It, it is amazing how many people think that you're not allowed to speak Lashnahar about yourself. And I hate to say it, it sounds a little, uh, I don't know, uh, I'm not sure what the right word is, but um, maybe it's a little bit, you know, uh, de- denigrating to say that people are basing halacha on a story because we don't do that in in uh, generally we base halacha on halacha on what's written in the svarim but stories don't generally create halacha and there is a story that has somehow gone around Kaisal over the years that the Chavetz Chaim was was on a train and somebody uh, and somebody was getting very excited and told the Chavetz Chaim he didn't know that he was the Chavetz Chaim but he knew that there was a train station soon that people, throngs of people were waiting to greet the Chavetz Chaim. So he said to the Chavetz Chaim, not knowing who it was, I'm so excited, the next train station, we're going to see the Chavetz Chaim, he's the biggest tzaddik of the generation, such an incredible person. And uh, the Chavetz Chaim said, take it easy, he's, uh, Chavetz Chaim's not really, he's, he's, you know, he's not really that great, something along those lines. And when the person heard that, he said, what? You're, you're, you're putting down the Chavetz Chaim and he beat him up. Okay, the Chavetz Chaim, the way the story goes is after he got a little pushed around by this fellow said that's a you know, indication one should not speak Lashonar about themselves. So maybe he meant it's, it's good advice, you know, but uh, halakhically it's very clear you are allowed to speak about yourself. Um, it's not Lashonar. Might not be a good idea, might not be great for your reputation, but it's not Lashonar. Again, these are, we have to separate for the sake of, of truth. Most important, it's truth. It's knowing what really is halach and what's not. It's very damaging when we just make up halachis because it sort of appeals to our inner sense of morality and we put them together with other halachis when they don't belong. It, it's very damaging because it sort of clouds the truth about what really the Torah is telling us. So it's very, very important. You want to you talk about midos and about character and sensitivity, fine. When you were talking about the very serious of Erev Lashon Hari, it's really critical that we, we define it very precisely so we don't blur the lines and end up creating halachas when they don't exist. So, so he says, even though you're allowed to speak Lashon about yourself, don't think for a second if you're trying to tell a story about what you did you know, in your youth and you're putting yourself down a little bit and you're throwing somebody else into the story. So maybe you might think, well, since I'm really talking about myself, but I just want to maybe share who else it was that I did this crazy stunt with when I was in college, and you're just throwing in the other name just sort of for good measure. No, that you can't do. You want to talk about yourself, that's one thing. To talk about somebody else in that same story is prohibited. So 
So that that's very clear that therefore it, it would be okay halachically to, to talk about yourself, but not okay to throw somebody else into into the mix of that story. Now, just out of just, you know, maybe for further clarification, I don't know if that story ever happened with the Chavetz Chaim. It is a famous story, and it certainly has gone around, you know, uh, the, the circles and Yes? Excuse me, Rabbi. Yes. I think I read it in, I, uh, I think it's in his biography, and when he's writing about, when they're writing about his, about him, and his, and how he became the Chavetz Chaim and, and all that. That story's in that story's in the book. Okay, <laughs> I hear you. Okay, fine. So if I, but can, I, I might be, I might be wrong. So I mean, but I think it might. Yeah, I think I read it there. Like I said, it's a very, it's a, it has gone around. And maybe you can simply say all the Chavetz Chaim meant with that is that you know it's just not a good idea. You know, I just got, I just got, you know, pushed around for speaking less sure about myself. It's just not a good idea. Maybe that's you know that's the extent of it, and you can't really base any halacha. But it happens to be something interesting. It's a little bit parenthetical. It's not, you know, but once we're talking about this concept, um, there is something interesting about what the Chavetz Chaim did that is actually controversial. If that story ever happened, the Chavetz Chaim actually went against something that he writes in his Sefer. Because the Chavetz Chaim writes later on in the Sefer, much later on, um, that you cannot appear to be speaking Lashon Hara. In other words, let's say I need to tell you information because you need to know something. But I don't tell you that you need to know, and I don't tell you why I'm telling it to you. I just sort of, I say it to you as if I'm just uh, um, gossiping. And I, and I just give you a piece of information that when you walk away from the conversation, you say, whoa, that person just spoke a shahara to me. Now, really the person didn't, because the person has a very good reason, and maybe you'll find out in, in a few days what the reason was. But right now, as you left the conversation, you left thinking that this individual spoke a shahara, that's a problem. That's under the category of Avaka Shahara because you can't give over that impression to people. We have to be above repute in every which way. And if I can't be, I can't be appearing to be speaking of Shahara. If I, if I am, I have to defend myself and explain why I'm doing it. So what struck me as being very interesting about that story is that the Chavetz Chaim, when he said the Chavetz Chaim is not so great, he appeared to be speaking Lashon Hara. He really wasn't because he was talking about himself. But to the fellow he was talking to, he, the fellow he was talking to didn't know that this, this uh, wonderful little Jew who had no idea who he was, was uh, he, that was speaking Lashon Hara. So in that regard, if that story indeed happened the way, the way everyone says it happened, it actually is a, it's a questionable thing that the Chavetz Chaim did because he appeared to that other Jew to be speaking Lashon Hara. So that's, you know, something to think about and sort of just to keep in mind um, because that, that makes the story you know, a little bit harder to, to swallow, but you know, it could be you know, Chavis Chaim didn't know that yet at that time and then only wrote about it later on as he, as he went through more halachas. Okay, whatever. It's some, something to think about. Food for thought. Okay, let, let's uh, sort of dip into Klal Bays if there are any if there are no other questions upon, uh, uh, regarding anything that I said in Klal Aleph. Don't see anything else on the chat, so I guess. So I'm oh, sorry. Yes. Okay, so Go basically, uh, sorry. Hi. So basically, on the lot, what you just mentioned, the last thing was like, it says that if you're bringing, if you're talking about yourself in a derogatory manner, like Lashon Hara, but it's not Lashon Hara unless you're bringing someone else into the mix. Like you're, it's demeaning. You're talking about yourself, but then you're not. 
but then you're bringing someone else and talking about right. the person. That's what makes it Lush and Hara. Not because the person spoke about themselves, because they brought somebody else into it. That's correct. That's correct. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Okay, very good. Anything else? Any other questions that we might have right now? Um, okay. You can certainly ask me again as uh, when we end. Um, okay, let, let's just dip in then uh, to beginning of Cloud Bays. And in Cloud Bays, he talks about the fact, again, he mentions the idea of truth. He must say it maybe, I don't know, eight or nine times in the safer that, you know, it's Lashonhar when it's true. Because the Chavaz Chaim was fully aware of the mentality of people that when it's true, it's okay. And it's not okay. It's, it's absolutely not okay just because it's true. But he says, Lashonhar applies even by an individual, meaning it's a private conversation between one person and another. Of course, that's Lashon Haru. What about when you say it in front of two or three or five people? Well, he says, logically, again, especially based on our definition, Lashon Haru is defined as damaging speech. Well, the more people that know, the more damaging it is. And therefore, to speak in front of many people about somebody is a much greater Avera because you're causing that much more damage as more people hear, the word spreads more, more people believe it, more people have a negative reaction to it and, and they look down upon that person. And the, the greater the damage, the greater uh, the, greater the, uh, the Avera. Now, what about the fact that we do find uh, an allowance in the Gemara? The Gemara talks about a situation where things are going to get out. And therefore, if you say something in front of three people, it takes it away from being Lashon Haru. Well, it seems to fly in the face of what we just said. We just said that the more people who know, the, the worse it is. So how could the Gemara say the more people who know, that's when it's okay? So Chavetz Chaim as a whole, you know, because there are two parts. There's the top, which is the Makara um, Chaim, which is the basic Allah. And then he has a Be'er Mayim Chaim that explains all the sources. And some of it is really incredibly lengthy analysis of just unbelievable brilliance uh, Chavetz Chaim was seen as a tzaddik, but um, his his sitkis, his righteousness, and his uh, incredible characters really uh, clouded the incredible genius that he was. His level of learning is just was just off the charts, um, and so he, he explains. He goes through it in length here, but basically just uh, you know in a in a nutshell form, he says like this. He says if you go through the commentaries of the Gemara there, the Gemara is talking about a very specific case. Even though the, the, the statement is a general statement, but the commentaries explain, it's referring to a very specific case. And the case is as follows. There is, a, there is an assumption made in Allah, and this maybe sounds like a little bit of a cynical assumption, but an assumption nonetheless, that when three Jews know something, it's going to get out. It's going to get out. It's, it's very hard for three Jews, let's say three average Jews, to keep a secret. And the minute you tell something to three people, you know it's going to, it's going to sort of hit the waves and, and get, go throughout the community. So the Allah therefore says as follows. If you have something that you could say about somebody, and it's really not innately negative, but it depends on how you say it. As we know in life, there are many sentences and many statements that you can make and the inflection, the tone, the attitude, the context of how you say it, when you say it, and the, the look on your face as you're saying it makes all the difference in the world of whether that's 
a complimentary statement or it's a derogatory statement. And I'm sure we can think of many examples, but just, you know, if you talk about uh, the, the case he gives about the idea of having food in that person's house all the time, right? There's always food in that person's house. Now you can say it in a way where those people just never stop eating, okay? The most gluttonous family I've ever seen, okay? Or you can say it in a way where they just never stop giving food in you know, and, you know, again, sometimes it's a small, you know, obviously, if the more you elaborate, the, the clearer it is, but sometimes even a small inflection can make the difference between something positive versus something negative. So as a result, um, the halacha says like this, that if you say something and you sing it in front of three people, and therefore you know that it's going to get out and there's a very good chance it's going to get back to the ears of the person that you just spoke about, well, then we're going to assume and give you the benefit of the doubt that you will be, you will be careful about it. If you're going to say it in front of one or two people, then we're not going to sort of give you that benefit. And, and we're going to say, better not say it. If it's a little gray and a little unclear, better not to say it. But if you're going to say it in front of three people, then the Gemara gives you sort of the benefit and says, well, now that you know it's going to get out, you're going to be more careful and you're going to say it in the proper way. That's when this statement applies. It's a very, very unique and specific concept. And um, it's only there that the idea that you're saying in front of three it gives you an allowance because it's an allowance that will sort of force you into a more uh, careful statement. But in reality, if you said it in a negative way, the fact that you said in front of three doesn't make it better, it makes it worse. Let's say you ended up saying, those people just never stop. I've never seen people eat like that, like that in my life. Okay, and you, you just said it in a negative way and you said it in front of three people, well, that didn't, then you didn't help yourself. Then you just hurt yourself because you said it in a negative way in front of three people. So it's only about the idea that you'll be more careful and, and therefore you'll be, um, you'll say it in the right way. Okay, and I'm just going to say one last point. I'm going to say, I'm going to sort of try to cover a lot of ground really in one statement and we'll end with this because generally the shear is a, 45 minutes here. Um, and, I, and the Chavetz Chaim Klal base is a very lengthy Klal that goes through a lot of nuances about a certain halacha. But I'm just sort of going to cut to the end of it because at the end of the day, the Chavetz Chaim says, we don't rely on this opinion. So even though he goes at length to discuss it, I'd rather, I think it's much safer and much more advantageous for everyone to sort of understand that the Chavetz Chaim is, is unequivocal that this is not a, a position that we should accept. But let me just say very clearly what we're talking about and with that will end. And the issue is if something already hit three people and it's, it's going to get out, as we said before. So you, you were one of three people. You know that it was said in, in, in a group and therefore the assumption is it's going to get out. Well, is it now a problem for you to bring that information to people before they hear it? So it's, let's say something that's on the news and the person's going to eventually hear it or it's going around the community. So you're eventually going to hear it. But I just want to give it to you a little bit earlier. So I want to run to, to be the one to share the news with you. Can I do that? The short answer is no. Now, there are people who want to argue that you can um, because you're going to find it anyway. So what did I really do? I didn't really accomplish anything. But there's so many conditions, first of all, in that opinion. And second of all, the, that's not the mainstream accepted halachic opinion. So I think we, if we end today's year with the, the uh, absolute uh, clear point that just because something is going to reach a person's ears, 
if you bring it to them earlier, you have spoken Lashon Hara. It does not get you out of the problem just because they're going to find out sometime later on. You still should not be the one to bring the news to them earlier. And with that, we pretty much, we, we move to the end of Cloud Bays. And um, again, I'll ask one more time. Thank you all for coming. We had a very nice group tonight. Um, we are going to meet again in four weeks in February 28th. So if you want to mark it right now in your calendars, same time, same station. Um, and if there are any questions before we say goodnight, then I'm certainly happy uh, to hear that. Yes. Yeah, I do have a question. It's not directly related, though, to what you gave over tonight. Okay. So I don't know if you want me to take it up privately. Uh, I mean, it does have to do with Well, if it doesn't relate, then we can take it up. But okay. So what happens if someone asks for information about um, a service provider, like a store, you know, that's owned by a front person? And um, they ask me, and I've had, a mixed experience with the store, okay? So I don't want to say, I don't want to say, I don't want to say anything now because maybe that person won't have a negative experience. Correct. On the other hand, there might, there might be a chance where there could be a lot, some kind of loss of money involved. Um, am I, if they ask me, you know, how was the service there? What do you think? Am I allowed to say anything or should I just say, you know, they're, they're great. Should I just say the positives that are real positive? Well, I mean, listen, you, 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 you sort of couch it in a way where you do have an obligation to prevent a Jew from, from getting a loss. You know, so if it's a real legitimate chance that going into that store is going to result in a loss, then you probably have a right to redirect them to another store. Um, you know, but it's, it has to be a real chance if it just you know what you had a negative experience but there's no reason to assume that they're going to and i would just leave it alone and just say sure you know uh, you know give it a shot and see how you like it you know you know you have to be super complimentary but you can certainly not discourage them from going to the place where they were otherwise you know would have gone anyway so i i would i, I would encourage them to do that but it, it's it, it you cannot turn the other way if they're a store that literally is known and as a history or a pattern of, you know, doing, you know, things that are damaging to people, then, then I, you really have to steer them away from that store. However, if it could have been like just my experience, then yeah. I, yeah. yeah. So if you don't have any other basis, hopefully you can give them the benefit of the doubt. It's just right. it's a one-shot deal. Thank you. There's a sham, no problem. So one more question. So based on the last, uh, what well, we just learned, the last um, part of the, Principle two, Alacha. Um, so let's say it's, I don't know if it's necessary Lashon Hara, but it could lead to Lashon Hara and it's three. And you said uh, people will know it, but are you supposed to, like, let's say somebody's wedding or chasana, like they canceled it, right? Um, but you're not like, is that necessarily derogatory? No, because you're not adding information. But if you're the, per if, if eventually it'll get out, but so you shouldn't be the person announcing that, even though it'll eventually get out, that the chasna will be canceled? I'm just giving a specific example. Right. I mean, again, uh, in other words, that they, they called off the chasna right. right before the chasna. I mean, listen, that you might argue that people would want to know. I mean, you know, do you want to be told mazel tov when you just canceled the wedding two days before, you know, earlier? You know, so 
you know, that's a very good question whether it's Lashon Hara. You know, it's Lashon Hara. I mean, if, if, the, if the wedding was called off and the couple didn't get married, then you really don't want people coming over. Oh, I'm so excited for you, Mazel Tov. And then, and then, yeah, he has to start saying, and she has to start saying, oh, well, no, it didn't happen. We had to, you know, like, so I'm not sure that's Lashon Hara, quite honestly. Um, you know, if they, if you, if you have a good sense that the people don't want it publicized, I'm not sure why they would not want it publicized, but then, then, you know, you can say, yeah, that's, um, you know, it's breaking a confidence or whatever. They don't want people to know. And therefore maybe it would be considered Lashon Hara. People will look negatively upon you, but if it's um, something like, let's say it's something clearly negative, let's say, um, you know, there was a big fight at the Hasidah, you know, and, um, and then you, you know that everyone's going to be talking about it because there are 400 people at the Hasidah. They saw the two Mechutanim yelling at each other in front of the band, you know, out loud, right with the microphone right there. So, like, it's unmistakable that there was a terrible, you know, unfortunate episode, Chil Hashem, that took place with people yelling at each other. So, yeah, even though people are going to find out probably because there was a big crowd there, you shouldn't be the one to say it early. But your case is tougher because it's it's questionable whether that's really lush and hard. Mm-hmm. Okay. Thank you. Not a problem. Okay. Well, thank you so much.